Ladies and gentlemen, all right. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Green Suiters Podcast. Which, uh, with, well, let me start this whole thing over. You want to start all over? Just start all yeah. over. We're, we just we just started. We're good. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the nation's number one podcast. Just in from the New York Times, so. We're kind of a big deal here at the Green Suitors Podcast. Ain't that right, Ronnie? Yeah, that's right. And it's got to be true because it's in the paper. It's true. Everything you re- everything it's you true read because true. we said it. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, everybody, we have some sad news tonight. Mr. Uh, Brian Sedgley will not be joining us as he is taking a little bit of personal time back home with some family after the uh, good old JLC event. And it's just me and Ronnie tonight. And tonight, since it's episode 80, it is a community questions episode. And we have a lot of questions, like a whole lot of questions. And so usually we try to do like three a piece. Well, tonight, me and Ronnie are going to try to knock out as many as we possibly can. So we're not going to talk about what we've been up to. Um, we, we were at JLC. We were going to talk about JLC, but we're going to wait until our good buddy Sedge gets back since the three of us were all there. So next week, we'll do a little quick recap on JLC. Does that sound good, Ronnie? That sounds like a great plan. Yeah, he was a big part of it. I do have, however, some news. And the first bit of news is new patron. We did get one new patron since the last episode which is strange because lately we've been getting a lot more than one between episodes. So if you're listening Uh-oh. to this, consider becoming a patron. Green Suiters Podcast. Um, <laughs> Mr. Bill Walkie, I believe I'm saying that right, two days ago became a patron. So thank you so much, Bill. Awesome. We greatly appreciate it. But the other thing is, this is the first episode for the month of April. And with a new month comes a new giveaway and I've got 50% of the information that you will all need. And that is that we are going to be doing a giveaway with our good friends at US Tool and Fastener, who we were just at JLC working the booth with. Um, they have agreed to participate in April uh, giveaway. I just don't know exactly what the price is going to be just yet. So we will know by next week. I'm sure it's going to be good. Yeah, it's probably going to be like four dominoes, three track saws. And an a contour. A Contouro, the MFK yeah. 700, all the routers, actually. Yeah. Um, I just asked them for, you know, if you guys could just do something small. and Yeah, so. just, just a good starter kit. Yeah, good good, good way to get started. <laughs> Speaking of starter kit, did you see that, like, Festival USA is doing a, a pretty cool sweepstakes yes, right now? Yes, I just put it out on my story to make sure everybody was aware. Just posted it. Um, it's a big, it's like under, just under 5,000 they're giving away in tools. Yeah, it's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. It's good to see giveaway. actual festival. I mean, I know they've done it a few times now. They've still never done a giveaway with me. I don't know what's up with that, but um, it's nice to see that they're uh, starting to get into the giveaway game because I think it's getting a lot more people excited about getting into that that ecosystem of tools. So good on you, Festool North America. Yes. Way to go. All right. So that's all of our admin stuff. Community episode. We got a lot to talk about. So let's get into it. Ronnie, would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? I'll, how about you let me first. go first? That way I can I can show you how it's done on these community episodes since this is your first one. Oh, okay. No, actually, I had one before, remember? 
because I forgot to color the Excel sheet like you all did. So I was going through and trying to find my manually. Oh yeah. I had one. <laughs> I had one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but no, go ahead and go first. All right. So I'll do so. Okay. So just so everybody understands, I asked for questions and, or we asked for questions on the podcast that go to the website, submit a question. Some people do very few. So we don't, we didn't have that many questions on, uh, the actual site. So then I ask on Instagram and I get a flood of questions. And I have to do that, guys, because you're not going to the website and filling out the questions. We got lots of great questions. So again, just a reminder, anytime you ever have a question that you think about, head over to greensuiterspodcast.com, fill out the question form, and we'll do it. Now, some people leave silly questions or silly comments when I ask for it on Instagram. And I'm going to read some of those tonight because we're not actually going to answer them and it'll be funny. And the first one is from uh, our good buddy, John, over at Lincoln Street Woodworks. And he says, no question. Just wanted to say, I love you guys. No homo. (laughs) Thank you, John. All right. My first actual question tonight is from old Kieselbach Workshop. And if I'm saying your last name wrong, I apologize. It's either Kieselbach, Kieselbach. It's kind of the same thing. Anyway, um, Ronnie, did you meet him uh, at the festival event? By I chance? believe so. I believe Super so, nice yes. yes. Super nice guy. Um, he has a good question. He says, if you weren't allowed to use Festool anymore, what brand would you use? All right. This is one of those questions that I don't think we've ever uh, gone into this territory here before, but it's me and you tonight, so we're doing it. My answer would be that will never happen. So I don't need to answer it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, probably Makita. Probably Makita. Because just, <laughs> and based on some of the things that I've heard, what's that, what's that tool brand that is sold at Lowe's? Heart. Not Heart. Heart. Heart's the one that's at like Walmart. Yeah, I know, didn't know if you were trying to reach on that one. Um, the Cobalt? No, no, no. It's a FlexVolt. Oh, FlexVolt. I got you. FlexVolt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've heard some pretty interesting things about the FlexVolt tools. The reason I say Makita is because I think Makita and Milwaukee are like the two other companies, and DeWalt, I guess, but they have really, really expansive lines of, of cordless tools. And yeah, I mean, you could argue obviously like a much more expansive line. Um, but based on everything I've seen comparable tools to Festool, um, I always see Makita come up, right? Like the track saw, I know that their track saw is a good track saw. Um, so that would be my answer, but that will never happen, Russell. So it's a pipe dream, dude. What about you, Ronnie? Um, mine would be uh, Bosch and Makita. I mean, I'm sorry, not Makita, Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Get out. Um, ba- I was with Bosch. I had a lot more Bosch before I started using more Festool. Like at one point, I had all Bosch drills, and I wasn't even interested in going the Festool route with drills until I started getting some and seeing some of the differences that I liked. So it took me a while to convert over. Um, and then with, with Milwaukee, they have an expansive for cordless line and I don't really have a lot from them. I only have two tools that they have, but right. they seem nice. 
So that's that would be. But I'm I don't think that Milwaukee and Bosch could cover what I'm doing with the fast tool tools. So that's you know like what. But to your point, Makita would have to probably be the track saw, and right. I don't know about the Milwaukee track saw. I just I don't know. It looked like a copy of the fast tool one, but it's a hard one. Like you said, it, I mean they're all happen. copies of the fast tool one. Yeah, they are. Yeah, literally think, every single was, every single one is a copy. Yeah, I think I, the Makita one I saw was like exact copy of it when I saw it on the video, but. But yeah, like you said, luckily that will never happen. But those are some of the companies I think are on the right track with their offerings. I like it. All right. You're up, Mr. Fulton. Okay. Let's see. This is an easy one for me. Do you build shop? Oh, let me say who it is. It is the, it's at F-O-H-E-R-C. F-O-H-E, Eric. F O H Eric, I guess is what Eric. that is. Yep. yep. F O H Eric. Um, it says, "Do you build shop pro- projects to the same fit and finish as a client build, or just function?" I am a very strong function. No, I do not build them to the same fit. I would never edge band a shop project. To give you an example, is that your answer? Yeah, I mean that's yeah. That's, even in the, it's an easy question. Yeah, even in the van, I, I don't get into edge banding. That's probably the best example for a um, a shop project. Um, um, and I'm not going to put Rubio on it. I'm not going to. Uh, right, it's going to be right. bare, bare ply. Yeah, so I'm very similar. Now, I will put edge banding depending on the look that I'm going for. Um, but I'm like Ronnie. I'm not going to. I'm probably not going to waste a bunch of time finishing. And um, here's what I will say, though, about it. There is nothing wrong with doing that. And hear me out. Because it's going to allow you to practice for client projects. And I've always kind of been an advocate for that. Like if you want to test things out, test it on your shop projects. Because in the end, at the end of the day, the shop project doesn't matter, you know, how it turns out. I've done some really nice like walnut cabinets and stuff that I would have absolutely built for a client for my shop. But that was just because at the time I was, you know, the walnut guy, right? And I had all this scrap. So um, but it gave me an opportunity to, to practice different techniques that I wanted to do. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Cause I always see my projects in the shop. A lot of times as prototypes, how change things I think were a really great idea. Like two or three years later, I'm like, why did I do it that way? Like totally, totally changed things. So yeah, everything's a, everything's a prototype when it's shop furniture. Um, so this one's another one of the funny ones that we got before I read my real one. This is from, uh, T Jesse, TJ Jesse, no T Jesse, who is actually the, uh, festival rep for the state of Indiana. When strapping something down, do you always say that's not going anywhere? And when I read that, I laughed my butt off because the answer to that is yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. Cameron's always made fun of me for saying that. It's kind of funny. Let's see. Well, oh, I'm I'm looking at the green ones, thinking that those were mine, but they're yours. Okay, this is a good one. I I actually, I really am glad that I saw this. This is from, um, Mister Elusive, who is actually one of our patrons. Uh, I believe it's Sean, if I remember correctly. That's his his page. But he asks. What's the most fulfilling as a uh, part, most fulfilling aspect of being an influencer, and what 
would you wish to change? For me, the most fulfilling part's easy, and that's being able to help people and meet people. Um, and a really good example of that was JLC, right? Getting to to show people how to do something and getting to meet some people that have been following me and getting compliments on my channel and all of those things. I love it. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's truly why I do it. If I could change any one thing about being an influencer and I, and I honestly, I cannot stand that term. Um, it's funny cause he even put it in quotes, right? Um, I wish the stigma of people thinking that influencers are celebrities would go away because I, I think it's, I just think it's kind of silly. It's, I am just a dude who films him doing woodworking things in his garage at his house. Like it's not, I got lucky on YouTube, right? Um, It's not the same equivalent to, to being a, you know, a, athlete or a movie star or anything like that, even though, you know, most people watch more uh, social media than they do anything else these days, but any, anybody could do what I'm doing. Anybody can't be a, you know, professional football player. Anybody can't be uh, a movie star, but anybody could do what I do um, and have success at it. I, I truly believe that. But the reason I bring that up is because it's always just a shame when, you know, you meet people and, or you you think you're going to meet people and they never come say hi and it's because they're you know intimidated or scared or whatever the case is and I, I just think that that's kind of silly so I wish that that stigma would go away but it won't. What about you? Let's see. I I think the most fulfilling part is being able to share new things, new concepts, new tools, and being able to successfully show them while you can still keep the attention of the viewer. That's always a challenge. Um, what I would change is maybe how, how it's like the wild west and it's just nothing is standardized. Like we have to work with so many different companies through other companies. Like they subcontract out their marketing and each one of those companies has a login to some perfect system that they love. And you have to figure out that system all the time. Um, and with that, what I would change is all the admin that goes into it because I, sp I spent a surprising amount of time uploading, for example, the link that I had to put out or um, getting into their systems when and not doing the work. You know, that's that's I would rather see uh, something more standardized, but I don't know if that will ever happen. Right. I think the admin side, the short answer is the admin side. I think it would blow some people's mind. How much time is spent on that? Oh yeah, for sure. It's I a lot. To, heck today I, in between uh, the coats of paint that I put on the wall, the accent color that we did is, um, just sit there and like try to figure out a, a script and a and a storyline for the you know the next YouTube video that I want to do and. Then I went through it and it was like, this isn't long enough and it's not detailed enough. And I kept going back and forth and then having to update my uh, uh, QuickBooks stuff and then sending out emails. And it's like I spend and, so much time then, behind a, a computer. And then between that, they're like, we need you to, we need your W9. <laughs> we need this. You yeah, know? right. It's like I'm always having to send that out. And yeah, it's there's just always things that are popping up.
And that part is something I would change because that's why I got out of the corporate world. I don't enjoy that kind of thing. I don't. And I find myself right back there sometimes spending, you know, a few hours in the day doing that kind of thing. But right. I guess that goes with any job. But that's that's definitely what I would change. Right. All right. You're up. Your question. Um, Let's see. We, I've kind of touched on this before. This is uh, uh, at hallshardwood.co. Um, but I'll just kind of give a, a short answer with it. And it's how do you amass clients when starting out? And I guess I really haven't touched on it exactly. But this one for me is easy. It's it's word of mouth is the first one. Um, that's the first one. Just pushed a cat off my workbench. I don't know if you could tell that. <laughs> arm reach there. I'm seeing it jumping he's, around behind you. He's he's feeling very clingy because I was gone for four days. So he's he's extra clingy today. Um, so so word of mouth is always number one. You know, and uh, I always say I'm really a big fan of of high end clients when you're you're a smaller company and you're trying to build quickly. That's always what I go after. Um, designers getting partnered with with high end interior designers is probably my number one tip that I would share. Um, they're going to get you connected with people that are willing to pay someone even to design their stuff. So they're already going to be knowing that they're also paying somebody to build it as well. Um, and you just got to find the designers that are, have the kind of customers that you want. Um, you know, even if you don't want to do high end, if you want to do just middle of the road projects, you can look for a designer that works with people that have middle of the road, you know, projects. Um, that, and then also I will say that I had a lot of luck doing the spring home show every year, the first five years of my business, I would set up a display showing very clearly what I did. And I tried to overdo my display to the point of that everybody had to stop and look at mine. It wasn't just a back wall. It was like, I had a theater pergola, a 12 by 12 pergola, a life-size one. I had, I had some stuff that people want and they wanted to see things. So it would stop everyone at our booth. That actually was almost too successful. I would end with a list of a large list of people to call afterwards. But I did that the first five years. That also helped. Those right. are my those are my biggest tips and secrets. It worked great for me. So, um, the the goal at the end of the day is to get as many people to know you exist and do what you do as possible. And the best way to do that is to get your name out there and get a lot of furniture pieces out there and get those people to start spreading the word. And and I agree with Ronnie. The best thing for the business, period, any business, is word of mouth, period. If I go to a friend's house and they have this thing and I'm in love with it, I want to know who made it, I'm going to find out who it was. And then when I'm super happy, I'm going to share that, much like the experience I had with my concrete patio or the landscaping. You know, I had a great experience. They exceeded my expectations. I want to scream their name from the rooftop. Um, I Not to plug one of my own videos, but if you go back in my older videos, I did a guild presentation um, in Atlanta or near Atlanta um, with a woodcraft. And I was talking about how to use social media to grow your business. And in that class, <clears throat> excuse me, we I heavily uh, focused on if you have a business where you're building furniture and ways to attract new clients. And if you go back and watch that, it's long, but if you go back and watch it, I think you might pick up some good tips. And one of the things I talked about is like what Ronnie's talking about with interior designers. I gave somebody an example of like, you know, say you're a, say you're a company that builds cutting boards exclusively and you want to build more cutting boards and get your name out there. It's like find realtors, find realtors that 
you can make cutting boards for that they give to their clients as a move-in gift, right? And so it's kind of the same principle and same idea. That's just a much smaller scale example of it. Um, but the point that I was trying to make in that is you, you know, you contact, you know, 50 realtors in the area. And if you have 20 of them, they're like, yeah, this is a great idea. This saves me a ton of trouble. And then when they give that thing, there's a business card. And then they look up your name on the business card and they see that you do a bunch of furniture pieces. And they're like, oh, we have a new home. Guess what that leads to? More furniture, right? So um, it's a good way to to get in front of people. And the 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 more you can get in front of people, the better. Um, there was one other thing that I wanted to mention and now I can't remember what it was, but word of mouth. Well, you know, and while, while you're thinking um, on that, maybe might pop in your head what I found from all those methods that I talked about was the home show was probably the worst lead creator because I had tire kickers to even high end people come to like a home show, but you have to weed through that yourself. So when it doesn't mm -hmm. come from word from word of mouth, you have no idea how to quantify how good the leads are and you're left with trying to process that. And that's what I like about having designers as leads or realtor idea for people to do cutting boards, but be careful about implementing the methods we talked about, or you might find yourself overwhelmed. And that's what happened right. to me. I was so worried about making sure I was busy. I had more, I had more um, possibilities than I could even process. So then I felt overwhelmed. You know, so be lay those on carefully. <laughs> All right. Um, while I'm looking up my next question, guess what just came in, Ronnie? What? what the giveaway is going to be. And I'm going to announce oh. it live right now. I have no idea. I know. This is great. <laughs> I told him, I was like, yeah, we're actually recording right now. This is kind of perfect. So US Tool and Fastener for the giveaway for the month of April, they're going to give away two, two, not just one, but two, $200 gift cards to US Tool and Fastener. Wow. That's well, you can buy whatever you need or want. Right. And no, what's great about that is like two months in a row. So Bits and Bits was the month of uh, March, which as of now, it's still March. So we haven't actually drawn the winners yet, but they gave away three $100 gift cards, US Tool. Very next month, two $200 gift cards. So thank you, US Tool and Fastener. Okay. It is my question now. And I'm going to go with Mr. Peter Bates. He brings up a, a valid point. He says, is there a reason why when something is mentioned for either a tool or some hardware, they can't be listed in the podcast notes? A good example uh, where it could be really useful slash handy is episode 71. Thank you. Um, this probably doesn't even need to be answered by both of us, but I did want to address this here and say um, it absolutely could be done. Um Probably a reason why it hasn't is because we've never sat and like taken notes during the podcast to figure out exactly what things have been said. Um, that and it, it's it's definitely more more work on my end. Uh, I mean, at this point, I'm not saying that to be like, oh, I don't want to do more work, but um, it's just not really something that we ever discussed, I guess. So uh, we'll definitely take that into consideration moving forward on future um, episodes, because I, I do think that there is a little bit of value in that, but I think it's a very small population of people that would uh, that would truly benefit from it. And I, I think most most everybody that listens to 
our podcast knows that if they ever have any questions, they can always reach out to all of us and we always write back. So, um, but Peter, thank you for that. And I'll definitely, uh, add that of, uh, to the list of things that we need to start looking at. But Ronnie, you can go ahead and uh, pick your next one if you'd like. Okay. This is a pretty easy one. Leather by Dragonfly. I assume this is Patrick, our friend Patrick. It says, what species do you not like to work with? What wood species do you not like to work with? Um, you know, I use Douglas fir a lot, but I do not like the way it acts. When it gets a little, and you pull on it, and it splinters out like a sword. That's that's something I do not like about the wood, but I love to use it outside. In, mm. in in addition to western red cedar so i still use it but i'm not a big fan of working with it because i mean routers everything it's very prone to splintering out but it's still a good wood but mine i think i've said this before and i have a whole bunch of it in my shop right now is actually white oak <laughs> uh, i don't i love the way it looks when it's done um i love I mean, that's I really honestly the biggest thing I love about it, specifically rift or quarter sawn white oak, mainly rift sawn white oak. I think it looks amazing, but I don't like working with it. It's not to me, it's not an enjoyable wood. It's very splintery. It's it's not um, it's just it's not a really nice tooling wood, in my opinion, compared to something like cherry, soft maple, walnut. Um, yeah, I'm just not. Not a big fan, but yet I find all I build with these days is white oak because that's what my wife wants. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a lot of a lot of white oak projects, but I uh, thought you might don't love I, it. I thought you might be touching on that oak to me has a weird smell in the shop. It almost also has a the smell. smell. Yeah, I'm not also a big the fan smell. of the smell. Yeah, I get stuffed up uh, pretty bad when I work with walnut. Mine's cedar. Is it? Yeah, yeah, mine's cedar. Well, walnut's not good either, but cedar, I think I'm actually allergic to. Really? Um, my When I'm working with cedar, I'll look down. I have whelps on my arms from like the sawdust. I should break whelps. They like go away in a few minutes. I think I'm actually allergic to it, but I use, I use Western cedar a lot though. But. Um, let's see. Um, oh, this I, is this just, is one, I think. Look, just point out to our friend Lido's wood shop which we saw not long ago, he has on here how to seek out the right clients to work with, seeking that high-end work and how to get those clients. We actually touched on that with the other question. Yes. Yeah, I actually so noticed had, that when we were going through yes. it. Yes. So I'm just now checking that one off. That answer goes for that question as well. Um. All right. So this next one, the last one was yours, right? Yes. All right, this next one is mine. It's about uh, festival products. It's from Thomas uh, Gojkovic. I think I'm saying that right. I'm sorry, Thomas, if I am pronouncing your last name wrong. It says, I am a hobbyist. This is kind of a long question, so let me. I'll read through it real quick. I am a hobbyist woodworker who makes mostly furniture pieces, but a little bit of everything, and I want to get a festival sander and dust extractor. I am looking at the ETS EC125 and the ETS EC150 and do not know which one I should go with and have no idea which dust extractor to go with either. I do not mind paying for the right tool. And uh, for me, and I don't want to overpay for a tool that does more than what I need it to do. I also would use the dust extractor for the festival track saw uh, I plan on getting in the future. And I apologize, Thomas, because I'm realizing this was sent back in uh, February, but 
I don't know if you've already bought it yet, but he, this is this is my answer. One fifty for sure. Um, I the ETS EC one fifty. I am a huge huge advocate and believer in the six inch versus five inch. Now I I used to be the person that said I don't think it makes that big of a difference, and then I finally started using them, and I'm like, wow, it actually makes a significant difference. To go further on that, I would recommend the ETS one fifty slash five. Um. I think that's going to be a better all-around sander um, if you were just going to get one. Dust extractor, I always point people in the direction of a CT26. It's kind of like a staple for the dust extractors. It's that perfect midpoint of... It's the same uh, uh, CFM as the majority of the other VACs. The bigger VACs don't have more CFM. Um, And it's not overly um huge when it comes to capacity but it's not as small as a you know say a midi um so it's like that perfect mid-range but once you start looking at the prices the prices for the to go from a 26 to a 36 really is not that significant but a 26 great for everything you would need to do decent capacity and ets ec 155 ronnie you uh, very similar answer on everything you said. Um, 150 in the 90, the 90, especially your hobbyist woodworker, I find that I use that all the time because the 90 has the delta head and then also the smaller round head that's like, what, two and a half, three inches. Um, you use the Rotex for, 90 a lot? Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, wow. Oh, I, I love it. I love it. Um I, I don't use the Delta head as much as the circle head, but I I used to, the 150 for a long time was my sander. I even used it on face frames and I, I really became comfortable with it, you know, in the non-aggressive setting on using mm-hmm. it on face frames. When I finally did 90 and had the smaller head, I was like, wow, this is so much more fun to use on a face frame when you're not balancing it on the top. Um, so that, so the 90 and the 150, and then when you're getting into more finishing, the ETC sanders are great for, you know, more finishing work because they have a smaller, um, like orbit, they're a little bit finer, but those are all the three, the main sanders, I think that are great. And then I agree with the 26, but mine is my first, my first extractor was a 22, which is now the 26. I don't think the 22 exists anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree with that. And that was my portable also in the shop one. And if you're a hobbyist woodworker, you're going to have it in the shop and you're also going to have it out and about as well. So I definitely would not go any larger than the 26, but I'd also caution you to, I have a friend that just bought, what is the one below the MIDI? There's one right below that. And it's the, the caution I want to give is they had the, the price. Yeah, there's or so the, the one 15. I think it's 15. That's so the, the bare price, bones one without the anti-static yes. O's. Yeah. So it it is a bare bones, and he's a pretty smart dude, and it he didn't catch that, and he was looking at the price difference. And this is not his first um extra it's not his first first festival, but um extractor. But he grabbed that one and when he saw it came in with a different hose, he's like, I would have paid the difference for the other one if I had known that. Um he yeah. didn't care about the Bluetooth part. So you jump from the anti-static, the the black non-anti-static hose and no Bluetooth options when you jump up and the thing is like $200 more and that's what makes, you know, some people would decide on the other one, but the hose alone is probably worth the difference. Even if you weren't interested in the Bluetooth mm-hmm. um, says, I would also use this dust extractor for a festival track. So all he plans on getting in the future. 
And just a little side note on the track stall, definitely look at the 60 because I, I'm very interested in this new 60 coming out because sometimes on the 55, you can't quite cut. You want to cut a little bit deeper, 60 is going to give you that. Yeah. Coming in 2023. Yes, it's coming sometime in 2023. I'm really excited about the 60 because I still, I do not have the 75. It's one of the few things I can say I do not have, and I don't think I ever will. Um, it's such a big saw. And I don't do a lot of slab work. I always just need that one little bit more. And that's what the 60 would give us. So I, I used to have the 75 and I, I ended up um, selling it just because yeah, for me, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing a bunch of eight quarter material. Correct. All right. Well, that one was mine. So you are up and, and we're flying through these questions. So we're going to be able to answer quite a few more or we can talk about something else uh, you know i i see a, i see a good one um that i haven't highlighted yet uh jacob green um oh yeah yeah that's a good one two questions and i like you know both of them i can hit pretty easily is there an aspect of woodworking and he put in parentheses turning marquetry steam bending etc that you haven't tried and you would like to um Definitely the um, marquetry and veneering is something that I would love to try and work more with, but I just don't really have the time. It's almost like something I think I would be doing maybe in retirement ages because I'm not going to do that for like a, probably a commission piece. Um, I have went as far on veneering as buying the pre the the pre um, made veneering um, mm -hmm. and actually I used a router and actually inlaid it. I have done that before. And it was fun. That's very challenging. It's very exacting work. Having those line up, the patterns line up on miters and things like that. It was fun, but it's it's stressful when you're doing it for money. Um, that's probably what I would like to learn more about. And aspect of woodworking, I want to build a boat. That's and that's a lot of a lot. Of, you see, steam belt bending things like that. A lot of things I've not have I've not ever had the opportunity to do in woodworking is done in boat building. So I would like to eventually do that. Hmm. Um, do you want me to answer tool? that part before we move on to the next one? Sure, sure. Um, for me, uh, I am intrigued by turning. Um, I've only done it one time, and that was at, actually at Sedge's shop. But I, I, I love the idea, and I love, um, I love the the concentration and focus that it requires. Um, but veneer work would also be my big thing that I would I would like to do for sure. And I think I've talked about that on here before. Steam bending, I'm don't really have any desire. Marquetry, not really into. Um but those are the two things that come to mind. V veneer stuff especially. Go ahead and hit that uh okay the other one the what tool part. does what tool that Festool doesn't currently offer would you like to see in the future? Um oh I can't wait to hear this answer from you. I, two things that I come up with. One is that I wish they made nailers, cordless nailers. That's one. Okay. Is it forced me to go to another brand that long ago? Like I really got really hard time. Shame. For it. <laughs> Shame. Um, the other one is more like layout tools, like such as like uh, a laser, a laser line level laser, like a five point. I feel like that if Vestal came out one with one, it would have features, even more features that I would like. Um, Maybe some more layout tools. That's that's what comes to mind. I'm not going to say like a CNC or anything like that because 
they're all this. It's just a brand on them. They're they're very similar. Right. For me, um, cordless trim router. Cordless trim router, I, I think, is something that I would really, really be interested in. Um, that would be very handy. I do like the idea of the layout, uh, some sort of layout tools. But so what's funny is, you know, a lot of people joke around about the special edition sets and stuff that Festool makes, like the plier set and the socket set and all that stuff. But I'm telling you, like when that stuff comes out, I buy it and I will and I use it. Right. Like the electrical work that I was just doing uh, in the house the other day. Um, <laughs> somebody wrote me and said. Uh, well, one of our patrons, uh, Mr. T. Jesse, who submitted a question tonight, he uh, he said, did you use the plier set to do your electrical work? And I was like, that's a silly question. <laughs> of course I did, right? <laughs> um, so when they make other things that are outside of the normal, you know, spectrum of, of you know, the tools that everybody's so used to, uh, I do think it's appealing. So the idea of, you know, layout and marking tools, I think would be would be pretty cool. But an actual tool cordless trim router. I also wish that they would come, uh, they would bring back or come out with something new that's similar to the Vaxis that everybody freaked out about when they, when they discontinued. Um, that's such a great, great tool. And why, I mean, it just works so well with so many things, the Conturo, the LR32 system, the Domino. I mean, it's, it's a great Great device. So I'd like to see either an improved version of that or have them bring that back. Um, this next one, another patron, Mr. Joe Clemmer. He says, what is the first real piece of furniture you built alone and how would you compare it to your last build as to complexity and final deliverable? Um, so the first thing that I built alone taking the the dumb little two by four workbench that I built before I built my first project um, was a rustic farmhouse dining room table, right? With pocket screws and two by fours and two by six or two by sixes and two by eights from uh, Home Depot and screwed it together and filled the holes with, uh, you know, wood putty and all these other things because I had no no difference uh stain or didn't know the difference uh, stained it you know dark walnut like everybody does and um did breadboard ends that were screwed into the end of the table <laughs> end of the long <laughs> way of the table um screwed the boards together with pocket holes for the tabletop i mean it that was my first project right that's how i think most people probably start um the last project that I built, this is, I guess, a, a bad example, but was the dining room table that I did, which is incredibly easy. It was just a panel with some metal legs attached to it. Um, but even though it was a very simple project, the way that I built that project was far, far different than building that first project. Um, to the point where, you know, this, the how many tabletops have I built to, up to this point? building it in two sections using just glue and, and uh, clamping it together and coming out with two good, nice, uh, really good halves and then using a domino to put those two together and have a, you know, a perfectly level surface and 
the grits that I sanded to and, you know, the weight method in which I attached the, the top to the base and, um, thinking about the fine details to make sure that it was, you know, perfectly smooth, all these little things that I did not even, um, consider on the first project. It's remarkable when you look back and, and see like, okay, remember how I built that? Now look how I built this. Um, it's substantially, substantially different. And looking back at it now, even if I was to go back and build that first table that I built again, the way that I would build that table would be incredibly different. Incredibly different. I mean, I use like a whole bunch of screws and lag bolts and... <laughs> I, I actually sometimes, even though I don't like that style, um, I wish that I could go back and build that table knowing what I know now just to see the difference and look like it would look a million times better, obviously, right? Um, but yeah, that that's my first project compared to my, to my last project. Nothing is the same. Absolutely nothing that I did was the same as I did on that first table. Well, I've always thought woodworking is you learn by your mistakes and by your past projects. That's how most people learn. And I was kind of similar. I'd look back. I've always made things like from when I was time I could only use a handsaw. But when I first thought as someone who started was starting to get wood tools and I was going to make my first real piece of furniture, it was a it was a shelf. And I, I was sitting there trying to think what it was for. And I remember now it was for G VHS tapes. Yeah, VHS hmm. tapes that went behind wow. our couch, under our media, um, our wall. And huh. I was like, I want this to be a stained wood project. Because I'd already built a few like painted projects. And you can get away with a lot of mistakes on painted projects, you know, between caulk and primer and make it all the same color. But I was like, this is going to be stained. And we still have it. it it's kind of because it's only like eight inches deep and it's about waist high. But right. some of the funniest things that I did that I would never do now. I also stained it a, a dark color. It was like a Minwax dark stain. But I went to the store and picked up like, it's oak. I picked up some of the pre, you know, the boards in the hobby section that are like half, half inch to quarter inch thick. I built the shelf out of the, the case of it, part of it out of like MDF. And then I put the other wood on top of it to where I could stain it. You know, so like it was not the structure of the shelf and it, it's kind of a mixture. And I added like doubled up the layer and I, I did make my own trim with the router. But one of the funniest things that I laugh at all the time is that I did not know at the time, you know how pronounced grain is on oak mm -hmm. on the back to save material. I ran part of the back horizontal and then I turned the other piece sideways and ran it the other way. Cause I thought that once it was stained, you wouldn't be able to tell. <laughs> so as soon as it was stained, you can see that Oak pattern going this way on the bottom shelf. If it's going uh, you know, horizontal, it's going vertical the other way, little things like that. It's so funny that I thought that it wouldn't matter. And as soon as right. it's stained, I'm like, huh, but it, it, it's, that's, it's fun to keep projects like that. There's a lot of things that I've made that I, I, I got rid of like entertainment center that, I decided I was going to make a better one. And I just scrapped it or in the houses where I've built a lot of the furniture was built in and I'm not able to see it again. But like you said, I know I would do it so differently now, but that's a learning process. That's mm -hmm. that's, and it's so much easier nowadays because you can see people online and they show, you know, more expert techniques early on. But 
before. I mean, it was, it wasn't that long ago that you had to kind of learn on your own and through magazine articles and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's, it's easier now for somebody getting going. Oh, for sure. But on the I flip mean, side everybody that, starts a little bit further ahead. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, it almost has created people with the understanding they almost have to over-engineer things. I see things all the time that is oh, way yeah. overkill, way overkill. So it's, there's a happy medium there. Yeah. All right. Was that, was that yours or mine? That was mine. That was yours. This is an easy one. Do you trust handheld belt sanders? No. And I never have. Um, I don't even use them anymore. That I, I've never really found in woodworking, even where they have a place. They're just too aggressive. Yeah. I, I, Unless my, my answer is the same. Yeah. I mean, they're great on a table. You know, it's not a handheld belt sander, but on a table, they're, they're aggressive and you can have some control on, of them, but handheld belt sanders, I'm just not, not, and they're, they're messy. Dust collection doesn't work very well. That was a MF Cossie. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. MF Cossie. I can understand where it would be possibly uh, beneficial if you're like stripping paint off a deck or something like that, but I, I I don't personally see how you know there's there would be a need for one in a in a like furniture I feel like, shop. I feel like on a belt sander you would need to go with such a fine grit so you weren't too aggressive and that would kind of ruin the point of the aggressiveness of the belt sander. In in the RO one fifty, the Festo R one fifty, you can put it in pretty much it's such an aggressive mode, it's like a belt sander, but you have more control over it. Yeah. Um, let's see. This should be another quick one and we could relate to seeing as how we just got done with JLC. This is from T Jesse three for a long day of standing around. What are your preferred comfortable shoes? So I, I actually wanted to answer this one because when I went to Hartville, I made the awful, awful mistake of, wearing my doc martens which i've worn doc martens for years and years and years um but the ones that i wore were you know old and definitely not the right shoe to be standing on your on your feet for nine hours and um i've been looking around looking around and i finally ended up uh buying a pair of those brunt which i know you wear as well the uh what are they the marin Mar- yeah. Marlin Marlin Mar- Merlin. Yeah. Merlin or Marlin. Marlin or something like that. Um and man, they they are night and day difference from what I was wearing to the point that if I go put those other boots back on, it feels like I'm walking barefoot. Um, I still don't think they're the best solution out there, but because I've seen such a significant difference, I it actually makes me want to try testing out some other boots. I've heard good things about Keen, um, but the Brunt are very nice, very comfortable. But more importantly, something else that I did is I ordered some of those Bombus socks. And mm-hmm. believe it or not, the, the types of socks make a huge, huge difference, which I mean, I understand that from being in the, the army and wearing, you know, army boots with different kinds of socks and they make all the difference in the world. But, you know, I just never really gave it too much thought to the the shoes that I wear every day. But I bought some of these Bombas socks, and man, they are so comfortable. And paired with those those Brunt boots, like they're just they're great. My feet were still sore um, after the event, but nothing compared to what it was at Hartville. Not even close. 
So on mine, I had Keens for a while. I went through three different um, pair of Keens because they have waterproof. And in the summer, I'm in the wet grass, the wet morning grass a lot. And it sucks to get your feet wet first thing in the morning. So that's really important for me to have waterproof in the summer. Um, I felt like they started out comfortable, but as you wore them, they started getting harder and harder. Um, that was my finding with the, with them. They're always more comfortable when they were new. Um, the Brunt ones, I've been, I'm on my second pair. And one thing that I've been very impressed with the Brunts are how the soles stick to things. And I have a new category after this weekend, we were loading up that truck. Did you think about, cause you had them on too. Did you think about yeah. how we did not even come close to sliding True. and you know how I, that's why I, the other person that did not have them on, I was like, here, I'll push this stack up because I tested as soon as I got on there. And it was like, it was like rock solid stuck to that, that aluminum ramp going up mm -hmm. on the truck. Um, there's been a lot of surfaces. I'm always concerned. I always do a little test. Like, is this going to be slick? The, they say they're non-slit, um, non-slit sliding soles. And so far I have not seen any exceptions to that. They, they really grab on. You know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because the, the wood ramp outside of, uh, my shed in the backyard, um, when I do wear the, the Doc Martens or other shoes, I've, there's certain times I'll, I'll walk up that if it's really wet or something like that. And I will slip and I've been wearing the brunts now and going in and out of the, the shed. And I didn't even think about it until you just said that, but I have, I yeah. have not slipped on it once and it's been raining a ton here. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That's something that I've found really impressive about them. So I've, I am definitely impressed with them. And they've also, they, they seem to, when they do get wet, they seem to hold up pretty nicely. Um, they age well so far. They age well. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to thank the sponsor of tonight's episode, <laughs> Brunt Workwear. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I bet you we could you get know, them to do a giveaway. They'd probably give away a pair of boots. Somebody. They pro seeing how they have a NASCAR team. I would say they could afford it. Yeah, <laughs> they have their own car, but um, I don't have a relationship with them other than they sent me my first, and they did send me my second pair too. Um, and mainly the reason why I got the second pair is I was going to shows, and I didn't want to be wearing the same ones, but. I have been impressed with them. There's other brands too. And I probably um, will not to give them too, so much credit. I probably will not wear these this summer. I don't think wearing like a full out leather boot is good when you're getting them wet every morning. It's probably not ideal. And I'll probably look at something else. Um, I'm do. I'm always go to, I have Merrell's Merrell's are other ones. Keens and Merrell's are, I go back and forth with their waterproof boots. Yeah. I'd like to try. I'd like to try some Keens. It's it's so hard. Okay, let's talk about this for a second. It's very difficult for me to... There's certain things within social media. In, in our space, there's a couple things that you see all the time. Boots, clothing uh, brands, gloves. Um, it's like there's, there's certain companies out there that's just like just spewing... The product all over the place everybody's doing it because they're getting free stuff right and i've always been very hesitant on the boot side of things um and you know even buying the boots right and it's because of that stigma in my own eyes of you know it's hard to know what's true and what's not with with certain things right because there is such a massive influx of you know, promotion that's going on uh, on social media. 
but I'm at the point now where like actually with certain things, spending the money and buying it and forming my own opinion on it and just, and then it comes up in conversation like it is now, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I think that there's, there's value in that. Um, but I'm very intrigued to, you know, look at some of these other brands to see, like form my own opinion, like, okay, well, these were nice and these weren't nice and these are just trash, but everybody's talked about how great they are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's a fine or interesting thing about uh, the social media side of things. I feel like you get to a point where you're like, it's almost better just to, you know, get the stuff and test it out on your own than to um, just go with whatever's given to you all the time. You know what I mean? Right. And and you and I had talked in the past when they sent, they sent me the first pair of brunts, I put them on and I was like, yeah, those, they feel pretty good, but they don't feel right, quite as nice as I wanted them to. And then I found you have to wear them for about mm-hmm. a week to really start feeling like they're the ones you grab for. That's right. one thing that I noticed. And I had forgotten that when I got my second pair, I put them on and I felt that exact same feeling again, where you just kind of have to wear them a little bit to get that well, comfort factor. It's funny you mentioned that because you know what? Another thing that I noticed about um, like us going through that process, you know, that's, that's, you know, a learning experience. Right. And that, that, that is the experience that is the firsthand knowledge. You ever notice how on a lot of these things, it's like, got my new boots. These are the most comfortable boots ever. And you can tell it's literally the first time they've ever put them on. It's yeah. like, just took them out of the box. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> these things are amazing. They're the best things since sliced bread. And it's like, well, anybody who's bought or gotten those boots knows that that's not the case for like a right. week. <laughs> right, right. And then I'll, I will say like for the Merrells and Keens, those the boots that I get for like the summer, like Merrill, those usually the one I want. Yeah, they they feel great usually right out of the box. They don't you don't have to break it and probably because they're not leather based. You know, they don't have to kind of like shape to you. Um so those are usually they're ready to go right off right off um the bat. But I find the the waterproof shoes are generally not great for summer because they seem like they're hotter. Because I guess they have to be waterproof. So yeah, I, I don't like wearing the waterproof. Lining. Yeah, I don't like to wear the waterproof anything in the summer. So I usually have different. I switch over. Man, Travis, he got a he got a, a mouthful on boots. We spent, I think, the most time talking oh, yeah. about boots just <laughs> randomly. There you go, Travis. All right. Um, that was mine, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah. Okay. This is a good one from Rick Bino. And he said, how do you decide when to use a dado blade versus a router? Um, I think the easiest thing for me is if I can get the work to the saw, I'm always going to use the blade. If I can do that, if it's too large, I'm going to use the router. Um, I just like that my dado stack, I can get it exactly dialed in and I can run it. Usually when I'm doing it, I'm doing a lot of it and I can set it once and forget it and just let that be the dedicated um, thing. Now, also, if it's small and it's not worth even setting up the blade on the saw, I would be using the router. They both have a place. I would never say I use just one. Uh, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of on the same, kind of on the same uh, opinion of that. It's um, for three quarter inch. I much prefer a dado stack. Um, If I'm going, if it has to be a a deep dado, I much prefer a dado stack. 
small pieces, the router table makes sense, but table saw, you just have more support. So to me, it just, it makes sense. And I also have the, uh, the luxury of having those TS stock guides, um, on the table saw, which are fantastic if you're doing dados, because it will actually keep the, the piece perfectly flat against the surface. So you don't get that variation of depth. Um, and that's one thing that I really like, but I, nine times out of 10, I will take the time to set up a dado stack as opposed to, uh, the router. Um, you can take off more in a pass too. I like that. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Let me, let me do this one real quick on the, the hate for the domino. <laughs> I know you, you <laughs> highlighted it, but we haven't hit it yet. There's one that I, I think we can kind of talk about for a little bit because we've answered way more than we thought tonight. Like way, way more. Um, this is from my good buddy, Drew Witt of Wit Works, And he says, why do people hate the Festool Domino? So I know why he's asking that question. And at first I was kind of like, ah, oh, that's funny. Ha ha. But then I was like, yeah, you know, there's some, there's actually something to talk about on this. And I think I, I, in my opinion, the reason why people hate the Festool Domino is because it's an ex very expensive tool that is very small. And like many of the Festool products, they're smaller in form and they cost a lot of money. And I think some people relate um, size to price, right? You don't, I don't, if you were going to buy a really good table saw, I don't think most, many people would scoff at spending $3,000 on a really nice table saw, right? I mean, look how many saw stop owners there are out there. Look how many Powermatic owners there are. Um, but it's a big tool. You know, like, of course, it's going to cost a lot of money. Then you have the Domino. It's really expensive. It's really small, um, whether you're going at the 700 or the 500. And I think because of that, that's probably one of the reasons, not the reason, but it's one of the reasons why I think Festool gets a lot of hate is because they're very expensive and they're not these massive machines that people are equating them to. And at the end of the day, that's not what they are. Right. Um, but name one other tool brand out there that has a domino. There isn't one, right? There isn't one because the domino is the only one. And it, it's a machine that does what it's supposed to do. And then obviously it has the name Festool. And there's so many people out there that it's not nearly as bad today as, you know, as it used to be. Um, well, there's so many people out there that just immediately are, turned off by that brand simply because of the prices. They know nothing about their brand. They know nothing about the tools. All they know is that it's out of the price range that they're willing to spend. And because of that, they have this disdain towards towards this brand. Um, I think you, a lot of people would make the same argument for the track saw. You know, a lot of people probably hate the Festool track saw. Why? Because now there's, you know, 15 different other options that are all less expensive. It's not the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? At the end of the day, it's it's not the same. And, and who had the first one? Festool, right? Every other company made one after Festool did. Same thing will happen with the Domino someday. Um, and I think the more, that might even uh, elicit more 
you know, negativity towards it when there's all these other companies making a similar tool at a lower price point. Just because it's a similar tool at a lower price point does not mean it's the same tool. You know what I mean? Correct. What are your I never thoughts? never thought of that before. I never thought about that before about the size. And that's so true. And while you were saying that, I just now thought about, let's give another example, like an iPhone. If an iPhone was the size of a laptop, nobody would ever talk about the price of it. Because right. you expect for a laptop to be that price. But the phone has the power of a laptop. You know, you can do just about everything, but, you know, people have a problem with the price. That makes a lot of sense. Um, for me, I think one of the things is for people who are doing hand tooling, mortise and tenon work, and they've spent their whole woodworking lifetime learning. I think that maybe that they do not like that that puts that skill into the hands of someone who just learns how to use a domino. Mm-hmm. And there's always that factor. There's always the purist. Same as a CNC, you know, that they're like, well, uh, you just push a button on this one. You can just plunge it in. When there is a learning curve, you do have to learn a lot of the same principles as mortise and tenon, even though you're using a machine and you're not using hand tools. You can make the same mistakes in learning what to do and what not to do. Um, and then the cost is definitely the one. I know the cost, if it was cheaper, you know, there's a saying that people don't complain about the cost of something unless they want it. That's, yeah, that's it. That's and I always I've never heard that. that before. Yeah, I always, whenever someone comes back to a quote and they're complaining about the price, that lets me know that everything else is good. That they're just that's that's all Have they're you, concerned with. Let me ask you this: Have you ever you hear all the time? I'll never buy that stuff. That stuff is overpriced garbage. I just got a comment, a couple comments over the past couple of days. People saying the same stuff. Um, a guy commented on, uh, my cabinet video and said, uh, you know, great. I could do the same exact thing with a lot less expensive tools. And it, you know, what's so funny about that is that like, I used all fest tool in that. At no point did I ever say anything about a single tool, not once. So that's all the person saw. And he just immediately associated it with, you know, that fest tool rubbish, right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever met anybody who's bought Festool tools and not been pleased? No, I haven't. I and I, I'm, I'm not talking sure. about the guy who buys one Festool product. Mm-hmm. That's all he ever did, and or all he ever bought. And he has a slew of all these other tools and may, maybe never uses. I'm talking about like anybody who's gone out and bought, purchased a couple of the tools. I, I still to this day have not sat down and spoken to a single person who has been like, you know, I tried it out. And I, you know, I just I didn't really care for it too much. It's the complete opposite conversation. Yeah. You know, I mean, to that point, there there was something that I did buy. I bought a Domino a uh, long time ago. Um uh, let's see, 14 years ago, I bought it, tried it out um, in the shop, and it didn't seem like it was quite lining up for me. And I was like, I can't use this on this next paid project. I don't I don't trust it. I don't trust it. So I kept putting it to the side, wondering what I was doing wrong. And Sedge saved me. He showed me that I was pushing too hard from the base, and it was all about the plate on the front and to push from the power cord. And that that was why I didn't trust the machine. I didn't think it was totally Festool's fault. I wasn't talking like, I'm going to give it back. I don't want it. But right. I was, I I think sometimes it could be education if you're not using the tool right. 
um, that maybe somebody could not be happy with it. But once I realized what I was doing, oh gosh, I love it. Right. And then what but happened I'm after sure, that? And I started using it all the time. And what did but, that lead to? Uh, I became a, 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 a bazillionaire doing woodworking. No, I was kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, it led to no, an entire no. wall behind you full it of festival did. products. It did. It did. It did. But but that comes back to where sometimes you need to make sure you understand how the tool is used. And it was harder 14 years ago. There was less out there. You know, there was less out there on YouTube. There was less out showing you. you the manuals weren't great. I had the essentials manuals, which were better. They're like, I have that for the Domino and a, a couple of the other festival tools. And they're great. They show you a lot of things that the manual maybe should. But um, that that one little tip that Sedge gave me just helped so much. He was like, why? I remember he was like, why are you not using it? Why do you not like it? And I was like, well, the, my panels aren't lining up. <laughs> it's a good reason. <laughs> he was right. like, I could tell you what you're doing. And, and there were a few guys this weekend that were buying the Domino. They were buying it. And I said, if you don't remember anything else, remember what I tell you, keep that plate solid, put your weight on that plate, do not muscle it from the back and you'll have success. And they're like, okay. So I saved them down a long path of, of research of why it's not working. So that's, uh -oh. that's my path. What we, what, what we, we're on time here. We're on time, but somebody, oh, somebody... you got a visitor. You got a visitor. I saw somebody peeking there for a second. You did it 500 times. Your microphone is so good. It's not even picking him up at all. It's not? Not at all. Leo, come here. Come here. You want to say hi to everybody? Yeah. There say he hi, is. Everybody. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode hey. 80. Welcome to episode 80. <laughs> you nailed it. Hi, Ronnie. <laughs> hey, how are you? He nailed so, the episode. What I did want to talk about real quick was something from Doug Schreifer. What's Doug Schreifer? He's, he's somebody that wrote us a question, buddy. Are you kidding me? All right. It says, in regard to your meetup, I have a few thoughts. He says, one, I think it could possibly tie in with another event. It might make it more cost effective for folks to travel. Uh, if guys were doing a presentation someplace on a Saturday or Sunday, possibly finding someplace the other day to have live beers with the boys, so to speak. Number two, possibly do it as a training deal, whether it be in one of your shops or someone else's shop, maybe do live demonstrations or possibly moving into a training class, how you build cabinets, et cetera. This might move into some of what Jason has mentioned in the past about selling plans and such, I think it would give guys more of a reason to come visit. And three, as far as just a normal meetup, for me personally, it would depend on where it is and if I'm free to make the trek. Being in Atlanta, if I lived closer, I'd certainly come, uh, but would not be able to commit until knowing where and when. So... The only reason I wanted to bring that up, one, th thank you, Doug, for for sending that in because you know we definitely want to get that feedback from the the patrons. Hold on, Leo, where did you go? Okay, don't touch anything. Don't touch the salt stop. I don't think I've ever had to do a, a podcast recording while he was actually out here and moving around. Um, Leo, what do you have? 
don't lose that. He's he's holding that one of the plunge stops for the uh, Vecturo. I had it sitting oh. on my bench. He, yeah, he always like just takes stuff and then puts it down. But anyways, Doug, I, I like some of those ideas, and I I definitely think we're going to start talking about it more. I brought that question up one because um, for everybody that listened that said that you'd be interested in coming, you know, we appreciate the feedback, and and it it seems like a pretty decent amount of. Uh, people are actually interested in coming to this thing if we do it. Um, I don't think it'll be the beers of the boys levels uh, that we that we do, but um, those are some some good ideas, and I, I think that that gives us a lot to think about in terms of how we could make it more than just a couple hour event. You know, if if people are going to come out here and travel and you know stay the night, like how could we make this kind of like a not only like the live beers of the boys like he's talking about, but also give an opportunity to actually get to mess with some tools and, you know, and, and get a little bit more time to hang out. Yeah. Well, Ronnie, unfortunately, because, uh, you know, now I've got to go do, uh, dad duty. I think we'll have to call this one, uh, for the evening. However, we answered a lot of questions, a lot of questions. So for everybody that sent questions and thank you very much, we greatly appreciate it. I think we were about where we were going to be anyway. Um, yeah, no, we, seven o'clock is usually yeah. the deal. My, my other yeah, son yeah. usually doesn't go to bed until seven, but tonight was different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's amazing the difference in the light as we do this week to week, I keep trying to judge where the light's going to be and it just changes very quickly, especially with yeah. the time change <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for sure. Well, everybody, thank you so much. I'm sure you can all hear my son going crazy, but we appreciate everybody sending in the questions. Uh, don't forget, be sure to go to greensuiterspodcast.com to enter the giveaway for the month of April. And this month, it's going to be two $200 gift cards to U.S. Tool and Fastener. Huge thank you to U.S. Tool and Fastener. Sweet. But if you guys want to get on some of the cool rewards and be part of the awesome community, go to Greensuiters Podcast on Patreon and consider becoming a patron. You come hang out with us, beers of the boys. But that's it. Le- Leo's killing me right now because now he's literally, <laughs> now he's literally jamming screws into the brand new cabinets that I just built. So, <laughs> oh, that's funny. For me, that's funny. I yeah. was there. It stops. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. All right. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. See you next week. Bye.